for February 8th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 84. That's not sexy. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Los Angeles, a city with no uh, NFL franchise, I'm your host, Matthew Rather, <laughs> and we had two. We used to have two. Uh, and uh, I am here with the panel to overthink the Super Bowl and Super Bowl ads. Hey. The, the show, the, the game went down, uh, it ended about half an hour ago, and you're getting our fresh, hot off the, <laughs> the couches reaction to, uh, to the goings-on, to the commercials, and so on. And I should say that we are also uh, streaming live on the Ustream channel, and you can see video of this. You can see video of my, my computer monitor as I surf the web. <laughs> During the show, uh, it's legal in 32 states. <laughs> if you go to ustream.tv/channel/over-thinking-it-podcast or overthinking, there's it no po- dash in over and thinking it. You're adding too many dashes. Ustream channel overthinking <laughs> dash overthinking dash it dash podcast. That's Gosh, what it is. Darn it. That's what it okay. is. Uh, yeah. But we're we're doing it live ustream. The the schedule was funny tonight because of the the Super Bowl, but normally at about quarter past nine Eastern, quarter past six Pacific. I don't know what that is Greenwich Mean Time. Maybe someone can figure it out while I'm uh, while I'm talking. Uh, in the morning. No, no, two in the morning. Yeah, it's someone the, text KGB. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at some ridiculous god awful time in the morning in uh, in you know Universal Time Code. It's um, uh, it's live. We're gonna try live streaming, and there'll be a chat. Going uh, now, though, though at the moment uh, it seems like we have uh, we have one viewer in our chat room. <laughs> uh, but you know, hopefully, this will be a thing where you can come, you can participate in the show, you can ask questions as we go. We're we're optimistic about it that we're still working out the kinks a little bit. All right, on to the question of the day: What is your least favorite Super Bowl ad of all time? <laughs> It can come from tonight, if you like. I don't have a long enough memory uh, mm-hmm. to, to keep Super Bowl ads in my head that long. But uh, it can come from tonight, if you want. Certainly, there were a number of execrable uh, efforts by Madison Avenue uh, on display tonight. But uh, you can reach back into 40-some-odd years of Super Bowl history and uh, find, the, um, find the best one. Uh, the best worst one, that is. Peter Fenzel, welcome Yay! to the podcast. You know, Matt, I'm surprised that you didn't onside kick to yourself. It would have been the first onside kick by an overthinking it moderator before the fourth quarter of an overthinking it podcast of all time. Uh, Matt, do you know what that means? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Are we speaking strange language to you right now? Football is the one with the helmet and the shoulder pads, right? And the home runs, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, right. no, they, I, I thought the Saints hit a home run tonight. Yeah, they really, it was a wicked googly, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, I'll answer your question right now. So think back to the salad days of the height of the dot-com boom. Uh, I think this was either 99 or 2000. 
It might have been 2000, like the end of the 1999 NFL season in like January or February of 2000, where a lot of the Super Bowl ad space was bought up by dot-com companies. Um, and yep. E-Trade, or no, eBay, was it eBay, I think, had a pretty fun ad. What? Uh, you might be thinking of E-Trade if it's the one I think you're thinking of. No, no, no. I, the, I'm, I'm, I'm setting it up. So eBay, I think, had, a, had an ad with a monkey. Was it eBay or E-Trade? It was E-Trade. Uh, E-Trade had an ad with a monkey. That was funny. And they had a monkey come out, and the monkey danced around. It was close to the beginning of the, of the Super Bowl. And then they were like, we just spent, like, $5 million. Like, spend your money more wisely at E-Trade. <laughs> and, like, that was all fun and dandy. But the thing was that, like, there were two or three other companies that also had ads in, like, the third quarter of the game where it was just, like, a blank screen. It just said, like, we just wasted $2 million. <laughs> And another dot-com company being like, we just wasted $2 million. And it might have perhaps presaged that there was going to be some sort of problem with this whole dot-com business model. Like, there were multiple different dot-com companies that bought Super Bowl ad time and had literally nothing to say. Like, literally nothing to say. So my, my least – the one – I don't even remember the name of the company, but my least favorite one I remember was in – like a courier new font black against a yellow background. Hey, there's just like we just wait to me with courier new. <laughs> <laughs> Them's fighting words. I did so yeah, so that was my least favorite. It was like the, the, the third the commercial. The third commercial in the 2000 Super Bowl where the company said that they didn't have anything that they were going to put in the commercial would probably be my least favorite Super Bowl out of all time. It's a fine, I mean, come on. Uh, At least- fine use of courier new. Going up <laughs> on the video screen right now. Uh, sorry, Pete, I interrupted you. That's okay. That's all right. Just go on to the next person. We got a lot of Super Bowl action. It's time for the next snap. We'll, be, for the we'll be back round. to the panel. We'll be back to the opening panel <laughs> after these important messages. We hate women and old people. And we're back. <laughs> uh, Mark Lee. You left out favorite. the minorities. You left out the darker skinned people. Yeah, we don't. We, 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 we don't like them don't either. Like, yeah, we don't like Indians or uh, or funny German guys in in green pointy hats either. Right. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's not the, that's not what I'm going to cite as my least favorite Super Bowl commercial. I think you can guess what mine is. Is it the uh, is it the Asian pandas from? It's, uh, a it's the years sales ago? genie pandas. Yes. from 2008 with the awful Asian accents, and then the unaccented sales genie genie comes and shows them the way and teaches them how to assimilate and become regular Americans. Because oh, it's so funny! Oh, Chinese people can't speak English so good. Don't know how to make a sale. <laughs> that was pretty terrible too. I'm, I see. Look, I'm, I'm, this is what this is what it makes me do. It makes me part of the problem and not the solution. Ugh. That's it. I, I don't don't get me started on this anymore. Sales genie pandas bad racist racism is bad racism bad mark lee with the controversial position that racism is bad moving right along from uh philadelphia it's mr josh mcneil i'm actually in the great state of pittsburgh right now which is uh if you've ever been here one of the great football towns in the world uh, i happen to be here for the first game of this season which wait, is, wait. Is, pittsburgh is a state they, they seceded uh it was a joke mark uh, <laughs> was, uh, was attempting humor and apparently failed. Um, yeah, the, no, uh, the very first game of the season. The if you walk around Pittsburgh during game day, every other person is wearing a jersey, and then the game starts, and it becomes a ghost town. It's actually quite eerie. Um, my favorite or my least favorite Super Bowl ad. I have no memory for anything prior to this game, so I'm going to stick to the last couple of hours, and I'm going to have to go with those KGB ads. 
because you know I thought we we worked really hard to get rid of the KGB and then Putin comes in and now they're advertising. <laughs> Tell me what, where just, are these KGB ads? I saw the shirts, but I didn't understand what was going on because there was somebody's butt was in the way. He was getting buffalo wings, and I couldn't see the TV. What was going on? In addition to just the resurgence of sort of you know Soviet imperialism, I think that my issue with them is also they're attempting to sell us something that we currently get for free, which is information on our mobile phones. Okay. <laughs> um, they, they. I mean, I, I've actually written posts about this. The you know, with with smartphones now and access to the internet, you can learn anything you want to know practically instantly. And they are attempting to sell that service for something like I think it's forty two cents per question. I think it was ninety nine cents a pop. Is it ninety nine cents? Yeah. Uh, so uh, it is. A, it is. It's, it's the bottled water of the information age. <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is selling us something that we were already getting for free, and it pissed me off. Yeah, but the, uh, you know, because of the failure of the EPA, the, the tap water that you get in a lot of places is not all that great. I'm not talking about New York and Los Angeles. I'm talking about rural counties with, you know, uh, industrial waste seeping into the water table, right? Like, uh, so bottled water, seems, bottled water seems to be, you know, if capitalism can do one thing, it's this. It can make... Uh, its own excesses into marvelous business opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's why uh, that's why it'll like the never... giant mountain of corn, the giant mountain of corn in uh, the omnivore's dilemma that must find its the end of the river. It must yeah, well, find its, its uh, market. It's, it's more like the the concentrated animal feeding operations, the CAFOs, right, which are essentially big swamps of manure, right. And rather than uh, rather than look into this this practice of, of raising our food in a big swamp of its own uh, mess, uh, right? We or we, rather than building a path train station there, like so that you can get there from the, the city pretty easily. Sorry, that's a, <laughs> a New Jersey joke. <laughs> um, right? Rather than look at something in the system that might need to be adjusted, you keep the system in place and create a uh, create a great new business in irradiating cow poop you know and that's and that's how that's how capitalism chugs its way along let's uh let's... i think we need sorry i need to, i think we need to have a green police to regulate all of this we'll get to that we'll get to that <laughs> soon let's uh let's let's see if we can show a clip from the kgb super bowl commercial uh the sumo wrestling one and um see if we can get that up on the video for those of you listening to this podcast later, Fenzel will describe it to you. All right. So there's a blank screen and it's spinning around. Oh, you know what? I got to I got to work out the audio, which I which I will do. In the meantime, we're moving on to Mr. John Parrish. What up? What up? <laughs> what? Oh. Okay. Do you listen to the Adam Carolla podcast, John? No, I don't. No. He has a he has a he has a tagline that's similar to yours. He says, well, yeah, uh, "Get it on." Get... Sorry, he probably stole it from me. Yeah, he says, mm-hmm. "Get it on." Got to get it on. No choice but to get it on. Mandate, get it on. And uh, mm-hmm. it reminds me of him. Uh, I mean, that's only one one of the many ways in which you remind me of Adam Carolla. Oh well, well, thank you. Is is it that in the the sex themed uh, radio call in show that I host too? Yes. 
Okay. I grew up when that before that became such a big national hit. I grew up listening to that on K Rock in Los Angeles. It it shaped a lot of my my uh, opinions or my uh, my psychosexual development, which maybe accounts for um, uh, what I am today. So you have him and Dr. Drew to thank for me. Yeah. Anyway, for me, John, it's your sexual tension with Jimmy Kimmel. Okay, I'll I'll, t- I'll take responsibility for all of those things. Mm. So my least favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time, probably the worst, is from a couple years back, the uh, Britney Spears Pepsi commercial that ends with uh, Bob Dole sitting at home watching <laughs> the TV uh. with the dog, and the dog barks, and he says, down, boy. Uh. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't suppose I need to go into detail about how reprehensible that is, about no, no, how please it... Please do, please do. But old men aren't allowed to jerk it. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's cruel. No, I don't need your. I don't need your thought police here. All right, man. <laughs> well, if you insist, okay. I'll, I'll go into detail. I mean, it. It's a. It's. It's sort of a. a it, it's depressing because it's the willful discreditation of the reputation of even if he's someone a lot of people don't like because he was, you know, prominent and Republican and all that, a, a storied politician with, a, you know, 30, 40, whatever years of history, you know, kind of the equivalent of, of Tip O'Neill, but for the, but for the right, uh, right-wing side of the aisle, uh, selling, selling his image out for a, a Pepsi commercial with the implied joke being that, oh, he just got an erection looking at Britney Spears. Aye, yeah, for aye, Christ's aye, sake, aye, when, aye. once the politician's integrity starts going out the window for money, then you know the whole civilization's in trouble. Well, I, I, heard, <laughs> I heard there was a, a Supreme Court decision recently that allowed corporations to start spending money on political ads, which hadn't happened up to this point. So, I mean, now, now we're in trouble because, you know, that, that just opens the floodgates to companies spending money on politics. Like, the next time there's a commercial about Bob Dole getting an erection that's paid for by Pepsi, it'll be an ad for the Republican Party, is what you're saying? No, I'm saying the next time there's, there's a commercial for the Republican Party getting an erection, it'll be paid for by Viagra. Yeah, uh, fair enough, fair enough. Yes. <laughs> I think the main thing is that we need more erections in politics. We've been at a sort of low point these days. There's not enough erections out there right now. And they've all been kind of shameful erections recently, like very sort of, you know, someone has to go on TV and apologize for, you know, the party sort of recoils and discredits the okay I'm, I'm done with this line of talk yeah. <laughs> and I guess I am last uh, you know Mark you, you, you kind of stole my thunder there with the sales genie uh, sales genie pandas yeah that's pretty freaking reprehensible I mean it doesn't quite get much worse than that it's uh let's let's take a quick listen uh to the sales genie thing and if you're if you're on the video chat if you're uh, oh, watching the live oh stream, god you're gonna give me ptsd a, uh, here yeah, I'm yeah. Serious <laughs> sorry oh, this yeah so this is it yeah there, there's an ethnic uh sensitivity you know trigger alert in effect here we go uh-huh. ting ting we have no customers no oh. sales we're going out of business ling ling I am not going back to the zoo. Then we need a sales miracle. Panda Psychic, help! We need customers. Tell Ling Ling to get 100 free sales leads at salesgenie.com. And stop eating the bamboo furniture. This is so wow. wrong! Look at all these sales leads! <laughs> this is so Thank you, wrong. Sales Genie! Hey, kid! You want to go see the grizzly bears at the zoo? For 100 free sales leads, go to salesgenie.com. And that's, uh... That was the sales genie. That was the sales genie one. Uh, the KGB one too. Well, I won't play the the um, KGB one. 
Uh, hey, you got the gist of that, even though there was no, uh, even though there's no video on the audio podcast. It was absolutely reprehensible. I, I gotta <laughs> say, um, I think of uh, of the kinds of insensitivity on display tonight, gender insensitivity was the worst. And uh, of that, the worst uh, of the two genders, men had it far worse off because um, in the book club uh, Budweiser Super Bowl ad, the man was portrayed as not being interested in books and only wanting uh, Bud Light and um, and ladies. Right. So I uh, I got to say, you know, I'm offended by this because I like books and uh, beer, not really like beer, but but beer and uh, ladies as well. So, you know, I I, I object to the the uh, rampant uh, stereotyping of my entire gender by, uh, you know, the Budweiser people who are probably of your gender. <laughs> so, but this is this kind of uh, stereotyping, like so. This is exp- this kind of stereotyping, like um, where you are mi- you're you're selling Bud Light to dudes by t- say, telling dudes that they're terrible human beings, right? Is like the idea. It's sort of the, the another counterpoint to this whole bad things happen to people who use our product thing, which we'll talk about in a bit. So, this ad it says it's sort of di- it discriminates against men, but it also is trying to sell the beer to men. So, like, what's the rationale behind that? How does that all fit together? Right. Well, I I was being a little a little tongue in cheek. I was hoping that we would yeah. be able to use it as a say. Oh, you sound so. You sound like a shrink saying, "Yeah, I know you were being tongue in cheek." Um, <laughs> I was helping you, man. <laughs> Don't help so quickly. Come on, Sorry. get the old piss and vinegar up. We got a podcast to do. Let's do the, it. Um, you know, I, I, look, I was I, I was being a little, a little jokey, but like there is there is like a backlash to all this misogyny, which is the, the kind of like the essentialism of like you know, oh, oh, men are a bunch of blockheaded uh you know beer drinking beer swilling uh dolts and i i i resent that i am a blockheaded beer swilling dolt but i i'm an individual blockheaded beer swilling dolt not you know it's not on account of my my gender what about that dodge commercial that was the one that i really that really struck me that's um, the one where it really turned the corner and it realized that the 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 night was going to be about henpecked husbands and boyfriends and uh, you know, shrewish, ridiculous women, like the uh, like the like the one like the ad mocking the woman giving birth, you know, that that was, that was <laughs> I don't know, I you know that was a little over the line for me, right? Well, but can you give a little more? That wasn't intrinsic of a Super Bowl ad. That was a trailer for a feature film that's coming out soon, right? It's true. Yeah, you're right. So that there's a whole other thing going on there where there's that someone went off off and went a full length feature film. Which, uh, yeah, mocks women giving birth. So um, we'll unpack what, that what one in a future podcast. A oh, new Jennifer this? Lopez movie. She's pregnant. They're talking about, I don't know, they, they witnessed this really kind of uh, granola, crunch, crunch, natural birthing. And they say, oh, we're not going to do that. Mm. Yeah. I'd, I'd play it over the thing, but it's not. That's one where you really do need the visuals. Right, um, right, right. Well, I mean, I don't think about it this way. Like, a lot of the, the ads to me seemed to. Uh, speak to a certain disempowerment that has happened uh, to people, and I, I think you can put this in the context of the economic situation. Yeah, I was th- I was thinking uh, that too. You yeah, unpack yeah, yeah, yeah. that uh, unpack that a little bit. 
Okay, so uh, think about the Dodge commercial for me was the one that, that really spoke to the cultural moment the most because it's a, uh, a pictures of a bunch of men speaking fairly seriously about all of the compromises they have to make in their lives for the women in their lives to try to make them happy. And there's these look, this look of like despair on their faces like I try and I try and I try and there's nothing that I can do. You know, and, and if you want to put that in the current cultural moment, then you look at like the unemployment numbers and the sort of fact that the recession has really hit men really badly and that there's been an ongoing uh, trend over the course of, of America of this like rising divorce rate that is largely traceable to money problems that is also largely traceable to like stagnation of wages. A lot of it is related to manufacturing and construction and jobs that men have traditionally held. There's a real economic pressure on the sort of American man that, that you know, regardless of the problems that other people are facing, ultra welcome are real problems, is, 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 is a cultural reality for these people. And this commercial, it had it, it. It touched on the problems that are often mocked in commercials. So it's like, oh, you know, my wife isn't happy with me. I'm going to get Directv, and that'll make me happy because I'll have football. You know, and and those commercials are usually a joke. This commercial wasn't a joke. Like it was fairly serious. It's like, you know, I hate hanging out with you and watching your vampire movies. Like I hate that we never get to do anything that I get to do. I like to do. I hate that nothing that I do makes you happy or makes you satisfied with me. And the one thing that I'm going to get in my life is I'm going to drive a Dodge. <laughs> um, I'm going to drive like a Dodge sports car. Yep. Uh, and I feel like very few things really exemplify this, the sense of palpable failure uh, associated with this economic recession like Dodge does. Because after all, Dodge, as immortalized and married with children, of course, is like the car of the loser. Um, and to have a Dodge sports car uh, because nobody likes you is kind of a, a wonderful little contrapasso. Uh, <laughs> to, 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 quote, to quote Will Ferrell from a, a Saturday Night Live sketch, I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah, I remember. I remember. There's a there was a Conan O'Brien sketch that I I love. Well, not even a sketch, like a moment in an interview where he was up. asking Steven Seagal if he could beat him in a fight, um, and uh, and and Steven Seagal kept saying no. And then Conan was like, "Well, what if you're tied to a tree and I'm driving a car, like a big Dodge Dart?" And that always struck me as like that was the car that Conan would want to drive if he was trying to kill Steven Seagal. Be like a big old honking Dodge. Let's uh, uh let's take a look here at this uh, at this Super Bowl ad. I will get up and walk the dog at 6.30 a.m. I will eat some fruit as part of my breakfast. I'll say that there are, uh, the images are all uh, medium close-ups of disaffected guys pushing in gradually closer until the last shot is just of eyes. I will shave. I will clean the sink after I shave. I will be at work by 8 a.m. I will sit through two-hour meetings. I will say yes when you want me to say yes. I will be quiet when you don't want to hear me say no. I will take your call. I will listen to your opinion of my friends. I will listen to your friends' opinions of my friends. I will be civil to your mother. I will put the seat down. I will separate the recycling. I will carry your lip balm. I will watch your vampire TV shows with you. I will take my socks off before getting into bed. I will put my underwear in the basket. And because I do this, I will drive the car. I want to drive. Anyone recognize the voice? Should we? Uh, depends. If you watch a Showtime series about a serial killer. <laughs> is it, is it, uh, is it David Duchovny from Red Shoe Diaries? <laughs> <laughs> no, the oh, new it, Red Shoe Diaries show is, is called uh, 
Californication. That's, you know, yeah, I, uh, I know. upscale Red Shoe Diaries. That's the, like, fancy Red Shoe <laughs> Diaries. Yeah. Um, no, Dexter it's guy? Michael C. Hall. It's Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, so that's actually an interesting piece of metacasting, because he's a crazy, he's like a serial killer who appears normal. Yeah, but he's <laughs> also, he's the serial killer in all of us. You know, you know what I mean? Just like uh, the Sopranos were the dysfunctional family in all of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a serial killer in me. I mean, but yeah. think about that. That's not like a funny commercial. Like, that's a very serious commercial. Now, more of it is about work than I remembered, because the stuff that stuck with me was that, well, I mean, they're all men. So is it, is it really about your job? I mean, most of it, it seems to be about his relationship with his wife or whatever, who are these guys that you're talking about or his girlfriend. Yeah, who's a, a, like a shrewish, overbearing, you know, henpecking kind of kind of woman there, right? But I think the, the conflation and association of the relationship with the employer, right? It's like you you do the same things for your wife that you do for your job, and these are these are connected relationships. That is like these dark, right? Yeah, that is yeah, that's yeah, you know. pretty dark. And considering the situation of men in this country with relation to their jobs and how bleak that is right now, consider what that says about the relationship between men and their and their relation and like their romantic relationships, and they're like uh, you know their families. Uh, which is, of course, a lot of pressure from the job world comes over on that. And so then you have a company that's like on federal life support trying to sell cars to people based on like the failures of uh, of their own lives to offer them satisfaction or personal identity in a way that, that doesn't. Now, now, I'm going to a question. There's, there's, a lot of you guys watch Mad Men on the, on the show, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of like purports to give us an inside look at the ad creation process, right? So kind of, that's what I kind of want to do with this because – I, for one, find this ad pretty reprehensible, if not reprehensible, than just extremely dark and not inspiring me to buy a Dodge. So I'm wondering, like, what was the thought process behind creating this ad and what target demographic they're going for? I guess sad white men, right? Well, I mean, well, the, the for, visuals okay, weren't so you just don't, of, you, of you white don't, guys. You're not actually, when you're targeting a demographic, you're not targeting them in a specific frame of mind, right? You're not like, I'm going to target sad people, <laughs> right? Like, like you, you study your demographic and you determine who you're going to target, and you're going to try to figure out what images are going to resonate with those people, right? So it targets men, clearly. It doesn't necessarily target white men. Um, so, yes, to be fair, there was, I think, I mean, uh, several faces, there was at least one African-American, non-white. Yeah, I, mean, no. I, yeah I, don't, I don't think that this ad is particularly for white people. Um, the car is black, but that's not really important. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then you're saying, okay, well, how are these people feeling? Like, how do, we, how do we connect with them? And then if you think about a company like Dodge, you're thinking, okay, do they know what a Dodge is? Like, do we, do we have to make them aware of this product and its existence? Like, no, they know what a Dodge is. Like, they probably would know how to buy one if they wanted to go buy one. So what do they think about the Dodge? Well, they think of the Dodge as a boring car that's, like, kind of not very much fun and, like, doesn't give them the things that they need from an exciting car. So we're trying to, like, brand Dodge as something that's exciting. And Hold fun. on. Do you think so? Do you think it's the case, actually? I think because Dodge, I think, try, has been trying for years and I think has, for the most part, succeeded as uh, branding itself as sort of a muscle car brand. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, yeah. I'm going to take, take take you to task on this, Fenzel. The the 19 you know 79 Dodge Charger, possibly the most you know muscular car still still in service today. I mean, I think I mean that's what this commercial is trying to access because it's a Dodge Charger commercial, and also there's the Dodge Ram. But they did recently spin the Ram off into a separate brand because they felt like it was suffering, I think, from being associated with the Dodge brand, even though the Ram has been very successful and very popular. So the Dodge definitely has this legacy of muscle cars and has produced some positive associations. But the degree to which they've succeeded or not, it's definitely something they're trying to do is is really ground Dodge and this brand of being this like masculine car, right? Uh, maybe they're compensating for past failures. Maybe they're not. 
not. Um, but but uh, I mean, I, I think that the degree to which dodges at one point were passe and are no longer passe, you know, whatever. We can we can talk about that too. Um, I still think that the the mo holds, and that that's what they're trying to do. Is they're trying to paint a particular association with that particular product that it's going to like have a certain overall impression on you. So it doesn't matter whether the commercial makes you feel good, right? It just matters whether when you have an opportunity to buy a car, if the commercial builds an association for you that's going to make you more likely to build, buy the car in the future, I guess. I mean, it's not saying like, this isn't like an impulse buy. This isn't like a Pepsi commercial or a Coke commercial where you're going to go buy a Coke in like a day, right? This is like a, a, a bigger ticket item. They're not as concerned about that. But even if it were a Coke commercial, the Coke commercials are rarely really straight-up sales pitches, right? They're, they're often about brand quality and all this stuff. I mean, wait, somebody else jump I, in and tell me I, an alternative interpretation of what the, what the commercial is about. Yeah, Pete, I, I was with you up until the very end there. Coke and Pepsi commercials are, are not at all about, at least not since the Cola Wars of the mid to late 80s, are not at all about the relative quality of their respective soft drinks. Like, I, it's... It's rare nowadays to see a commercial comparing the two and like, oh, more people prefer the taste of Pepsi over Coke. Although you will see that every now and again. Yeah. I guess you have to go to a less established brand, like something like Stride Gum or something, to look for a sales pitch. Speaking of of Coke ads, the Simpsons one was an interesting spot today. Did you guys... did I make that up? There was a Simpsons Coke yeah, ad. Simpsons, <laughs> right. No, no Simpsons Coke ad. Yeah, yeah, there it was. Up. And it was, uh, uh, it was Mr. Burns, right, being, uh, being what, uh, losing all his house or something like that. Another billionaire gone bust, right, I think was the, yeah. was the thing. Yeah. And then he, uh, he wanders dejectedly as he is dispossessed of all his many uh, priceless artifacts and uh, is then seen alone in the, uh, in the park where Apu offers him a Coke and uh, suddenly he is welcomed back into the yellow family of, uh, of uh, the yellow family of Simpsons, um, w- right? Simpsons uh, <laughs> characters. Another billion. There is broke. See, Montgomery Burns has lost his entire fortune, estimated at three billion. Yeah. We can hear the audio. Cut it out. <laughs> Stop. Man, cut the audio. Stop. Yes. So it um uh right and what 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 was the idea? I mean, what would what did you think about that? Well, it was the it sort of starts in the same place as the Dodge ad, right? It's it's acknowledging the hard times. Um which is I used to work in advertising and my mentor's sort of his, his mantra was start where they are. Um but it goes is, to a very different place, though. It goes to a very different place, but it starts in the same place. Right. Um, which is, I think, important. And, and, you know, because it's The Simpsons, because there's so much sort of backstory that we already know, they're able to go a little further with it than the Dodge ad is. Because the Dodge ad's like every face on there is new. It's We don't have any built-in associations. But the Simpsons ad is really able to take, like, the dark place and then take you to that happy place, which I think was what John was trying to say earlier. It's not about the quality of the drink. It's about the emotion. Right. And so, just you think Coke, you think sort of happy, shiny, good times, kites flying. Uh, classic classic Americana. I mean, their, their value proposition yeah. has been, like, you know, nostalgia and good old America, you know? Right. So let me contrast this, go back to the Dodge, the Dodge Charger ad, where the proposition of the ad is that you start with disaffected, emasculated man, has to make a lot of compromises, and goes, you know, in essentially a midlife crisis, gets an aggressive sports car. 
Um, what's different from the Coke ad or from other ads, I feel like, I feel like is this uh, Dodge ad is kind of acknowledging the dark truth that everyone sort of assumes is actually true. But advertisers up until uh, until I guess fairly recently would never actually say this. In other words, um, it's as if saying like a cigarette ad saying like because you're you know uh, self conscious and uh, you know want to destroy your lungs. Here's why you're a smoke a Marlboro, right? I mean that's what that's what I feel like with the Dodge Charger thing. It's like because we know you're. Uh, emasculated, powerless white man who need to compensate with something. Oh, I don't know why I'm There's nothing about being white in this emasculated Because you're an emasculated, disaffected man and you need to compensate by this uh, aggressive sports car. Um, and then, which is different from the Coke ad, which is that because you're down on your luck, have a simple pleasure of a Coke and enjoy a beverage with your friends. That's the message of that, which is very different from that Dodge Charger thing. Well, no, it's the, uh, look, what is the, what is the promise? And the promise in both cases about, is about recapturing something that you've lost, right? Uh, recapturing a sense of connection to community in the one case and recapturing a, um, uh, a sense of yourself as a man in the, yes, but, but the, the, the Dodge Charger was acknowledging kind of the pathetic quality about that recapturing, uh, your, your power as a man, through a sports car at least yeah well or you know uh, that it's it's a uh it's maybe a little pathetic but the kind of only available means of asserting yourself you know i was trying to I, think I have, yeah I'm sorry, sorry. Oh, okay that may have more to do with the the size of the purchase involved mm. like with with coke you know you're recapturing you know ha- the sort of giddy happiness which is a you know we all acknowledge as a transitory feeling, but hey, let's enjoy it for an afternoon. Whereas with uh, Dodge, I suppose the idea is you're recapturing your masculinity, which is something you spent all of your youth and adolescence and early adulthood building up and then is, I guess, being leached away from you by work and marriage and your wife's friends, etc. So I guess, I guess that's the corresponding idea. You're making a much bigger investment in yourself by buying a Dodge than you are by buying a Coke. I was trying to think of the what would the corresponding cigarette ad be, right? Um, and here's here's what I think it is, right? It's uh, yeah, we know cigarettes are bad for you. Yeah, we know the Surgeon General says that smoking may be hazardous to your health. But hey, are you going to let the Surgeon General tell you what to do? <laughs> Smoke Marlboros, you know, well, like that's that's yeah. the corresponding to thing. To give a real world example, because uh, this is pro. I'm not intimately familiar with cigarette ads, but this yeah. is probably the closest it, uh, it ever came was back when anti-smoking laws in the early to mid-90s were becoming more prevalent. Benson and Hedges ran a series of magazine ads which had people smoking in improbable locations, like on the wings of airplanes. <laughs> so there'd be like, you know, all these people in, in airplane seats on the wings of like a commercial jetliner being served by stewardesses and, you know, lighting up. And uh, I, I forget the tagline, but it was about, you know, how the, the quality of Benson and Hedges is worth going that extra, that extra couple of feet for. So that's very much sort of a, you know, hey, this is the way the law is going, but to hell with that. We're, we're still smoking Benson and H, uh, Benson and H hedges. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, sure. Right. Exactly. Like you can, well, it's, you can tap into that sense of like smoking as rebellion, that kind of James Dean, you know, looking cool with a cigarette dangling from, from his lips, uh, mm-hmm. sort of sense. But of course it being television in uh, 2010, 
there were no cigarette ads on the Super Bowl. Hey, let's talk about another billionaire uh, kind of ad. The show after the Super Bowl, after the, all the wrap-up and whatnot, uh, seemed to be a reality show called Undercover Boss. Well, maybe not a reality <laughs> competition show, but uh, where the... Uh, where you know highly placed executives of large companies took entry level jobs uh, incognito at those companies. Does everyone did everyone see the ad that I was talking about? Right, right, yeah. right. And it, this this struck me as as uh, an interesting thing as well, right? That kind of springs from the uh, the hard times premise that that uh, so many of the. Um, uh, so many of the other ads, including the misogynistic ones, uh, sprang from. And it, it's that like, hey, you know, oh, God, uh, now that I'm now that I'm working this entry level job, like now I see how bad things are for, you know, Joe Sixpack on the street. How could I have missed it? How could why did no one tell me about, you know, what I mean? <laughs> that, that times were this tough and that these jobs were so. Uh, taxing, you know, and that um, how how could I how could I not have known? Right, like in this kind of well, we're just uh, God. Nobody told us things were so bad. Was that was that everyone else's read on it, or or did you guys come at it from a different uh, perspective? I think it's a genius idea for a show because it's what it's it's tapping into that same thing. You've got bosses who are going to have to you know make the coffee, right? Yeah. America wants to see that. I it's, want to see that. I don't even work in that kind of job, and I want to watch that. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic idea. I can't see it lasting more than a season or two because after a while, they're going to run out of CEOs from companies that are big enough to be noteworthy to a network audience yeah. who will willingly do this sort of thing. I don't know. I'm not sure if it was meant, was it meant to be a series. Names you know. Sorry, and Josh, there are a yeah, lot of CEOs you. who are desperate for, you know, I mean, that's great advertising for a company. Um, and what, and what we're is, also in a culture where being a celebrity and being on TV may actually be more important than running a giant corporation. I, <laughs> or may, may seem more important. As, well, yeah, as much, Richard, Richard Branson, what he thinks, I think. <laughs> as, as much as I would Trump. like to, as much as I'd like to, to cynically agree with that, I, I, I think... The, the majority of CEOs in the country, the ones whose names we don't know, are, are relatively at least think of themselves as business-minded individuals and would see this sort of thing, especially with a camera crew in their face, as a waste of time. Yeah. Well, or well, I don't know. Like I, I was thinking of what Josh said. Like it's great brand marketing, right? Like to. Uh... Uh, you know, to just put the company's name and logo out there and that like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if the companies ultimately pay to be on the show as a kind of product placement. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Uh, I don't know if that's the case, the waste management was a very curious uh, company to do that with because, um, you know, they're basically, they're, they're, they're a garbage company and they, you know, they're not like trying to appeal to mass consumers who are watching the thing. You know, their, their market, I assume is, you know, done with mostly municipalities. (laughs) Who handle deal with garbage collection? Well, um, and I imagine the reason why that the waste management made for good television is because it's very obvious, right? The CEO has to deal with trash. I don't think there's I don't see a whole lot of like marketing opportunity with this. Really, you don't think no, that there's an well the, then what well the visibility of this particular company? I mean, how many people think about the company that picks up their trash and it's even its existence, right? 
Like, even if you only make a small amount of headway in the recognition of your company, if you're in a business like trash collection where your com- competition for mindshare is like really not the big leagues, something like this could be a real coup for you. I mean, it's all relative, right? Like, I, your success is, is relative to the other trash companies, not to something like Coca Cola. I know here in the Northeast, I don't know about where, where you all live, but, uh, you know, the competition and waste management don't really come, go together. I mean, it's mostly controlled by things like the mafia. So, um, you know, that uh, mindshare is something that the mafia... Well, the mafia, I mean, even when a mafia-controlled company, like, uh, as far as I understand how the mafia works, and I'm not a huge, huge, usually knowledgeable person about that, but, like, appearances and status matter to doing business, right? And, like, being known, you know, is can be, have its drawbacks, but, like, certainly, and even if you're talking about within an individual business, right, it can be very yes. useful for I, a CEO to be more famous, even if he's just talking about his relationship with his own employees, Sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't clear. I am mostly joking about the mafia controlling the waste management business. In your oh, okay. I wasn't really. I mean, I'm, I'm sure not, as far as I know, the Cambridge Public Works controls the waste management business. We know, we know that you, uh, uh, Mark, the, we know that you The work. thing about waste management is most of its contracts are with like local governments, right? Right. Yeah. And having celebrity status and going in to negotiate with the small town mayor who has political aspirations, that's huge. I mean, they are, that, I think, there's, a, there's, a, there's tremendous potential here. Yeah, and it's also not just politics is still politics, right? Like, like a lot of the, the machinations that people go through in order to advance themselves in corporate environments, even in relatively small companies, are still not don't go by different rules than any other sort of social climbing. Um, and and this kind of thing can be a real bonus. And even if it isn't a real bonus, people per- can perceive it as such. Um, it's interesting that Trump has advanced his case by doing what he does. If we're going on the premise that waste management is paying. For this for this opportunity, then I would I would evaluate it as as a waste of time. If it's if it's something that CBS brought to them and said, "Hey, would you be the the guinea pig for this for this test pilot for for our show, and we're going to air it after the Super Bowl?" Then I think it could be to their benefit. Yeah. This is just based on my admittedly limited knowledge of you know the cost of branding opportunities uh the the way that exposure is measured and the various the various target markets in the waste management industry which is in most municipalities in the u.s unless something has changed radically in the last 10 years monopolized by uh brooklyn ferris industries uh also known as bfi if you ever see like that bfi on the side of a dumpster that's them they own uh i'll wikipedia it but some remarkable amount of market share and waste management so is that the company that's being featured, or is it a different? No, company? waste management is the which is the green is and the yellow. It's the green and yellow WM logo. If you uh, oh okay, I've seen yeah. them. Yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. like a minor player in like the overall waste management business, and no, they I, uh, see this as an opportunity to raise their profile. I, mean, I think they're Pepsi to BFI's Coke. <laughs> Fair enough. And they're like, what can we do to break their stranglehold? <laughs> not to take us completely off topic, but I didn't notice a Pepsi ad tonight. Yeah. Anyone see one? Is this no. the first time that they've just sort of like, yeah? Oh yeah. It? Oh sorry. Yes, of course. And it was big news about six weeks ago when uh, when Pepsi said they would not buy any Super Bowl airtime and that they were doing their entire ad buy online and in things like destination websites, uh, you know, social media things, you know, things like this. So Pepsi has taken their entire game, uh, their entire video game online. A video game. They have a video game. They're they, like, play online. Grand Theft Soda. Late for yeah. this. 
Um, yes, no, their, their entire ad buy, their entire video ad buy is, uh, online or at least is not Super Bowl. I, I'm sure you'll see a Pepsi commercial it's on a, normal television. It's called Mists of Sierra and it's a fantasy sword and sorcery epic. <laughs> <laughs> well, was, uh, so Pepsi went with the young person's media while Coke used a 25 year old cartoon. I mean, that sort of, <laughs> that actually fits into their branding pretty well. With a hundred year old man as the protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> So I think uh, John's uh, had, a, had a chance sorry, to do some background research. Yeah, real quick, I have a correction to make. Uh, BFI actually stands for Browning Ferris Industries, and they were apparently broken up and sold off in 1999, uh, some parts of which to waste management. So my the information I got from my uh, rather old at the time antitrust professor in uh, college was apparently out of date at the time. So they... Uh, so BFI is no longer the monopoly player in the U.S. So it might be it might be worthwhile for waste management to have this uh, have this opportunity. Don't you hate that when you get advice from a, from a, someone who purports to be an expert that not only is out of date but is out of date at the time, and that person ought to know better. <laughs> it's like listening to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I hope no one logged off in the last in the last six minutes, or they got really bad information from me. Um, Speaking of things that are hopelessly out of date, did anyone watch the halftime show? Oh, you watch the kitty halftime show instead of the, the it's halftime. the old age wasteland. <laughs> old age wasteland. <laughs> So about how they hope they die before they get old or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to come first before and, we know, talk about the halftime show was the uh, the William oh, excuse me Will dot I dot M's <laughs> uh, remix of My Generation. I'm pretty sure I heard him like liberally apply auto tune to Roger Daltrey's voice, or is that my imagination? I'm not making this up, am I? Daltrey's always sounded a little sort of screechy, so I don't know that that's. That's necessarily artificial. We weren't. I was sure. hearing that in a loud room, and you couldn't actually tell it had been remixed. Yeah, that was our comment too. We're like, "This is different. How is this different?" <laughs> oh, he's at the end of it. Like when Will I Am remixes something, it just means he puts a picture of himself at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which you gotta respect. Like he's made an industry of that. And yeah. like, bravo, sir. Bravo. I love this remix of Indiana Jones and the and the Last Crusade, where he has a picture of himself. <laughs> 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 yes. yeah, okay, so I, I want to talk about the, this for a second because the buzz, the reaction to this seemed to be pretty negative. Um, maybe it's just my Stone Age musical taste. But I was like, yes, it's the Who. Look at that cool light show. And then when the um, when they're playing Don't Get Fooled Again and they go like, yeah, that part. I was like, yes, this, this is great. What more could I ask for? Well, you like you like the rock music. Yes. You could have asked for them to be on key during uh, Pinball Wizard. They were warbling a little bit here and there, here and there. But I mean, you know, that's just, again, that's just our, our ears being corrupted by autotune. I'm going to retweet a friend of mine verbally here who, uh, who said that uh, now that millions of American teenagers have heard Teenage Wasteland for the first time, they might get rid of Taylor Swift on their iPods, which uh, I think is something we can all hope for at least. Why do you replace it with the Who? Is that what you're saying? At least with Teenage Wasteland. Yeah, most as teenage anthems go, most iPods have room for both, and also, (laughs) (laughs) and also, also the Who has been has been pretty good about licensing out their most popular songs in their catalog for years now. So I think most teenagers in America, 
if they if they have any access to pop music, have heard uh, Baba O'Reilly, aka Teenage Wasteland, many times already. Yeah, I'm with John on that. I thought that the show was really good, but I thought that the like the, the production design in it was awesome. Um, I thought that the beginning of the show, when they weren't singing very well, and where everybody was kind of cringing because the old man's shirt was open, uh, <laughs> <laughs> was like, he forgot to button himself. They let him leave the house like that. Uh, somebody tell your grandfather that he needs to come home and he needs to fix his shirt. Uh, other than that, I mean, I, by the end of it, I was I was really into it, I think, Mark. But at the beginning, I was making fun of it pretty hardcore because at the beginning, it seemed like, holy crud, this is going to be awful. Because <laughs> he's like singing. He's not quite into it. And I remember the moment where they the moment where like um, Roger Daltrey is standing there with his hands above his head, holding the microphone, about to do the yeah moment uh, during Don't Get Fooled Again. I- I'm thinking he's saying, like, in his head, he's like, please, God, let me hit this note just one more time. Like, please, God. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's praying. It's like, I'm gearing up. I'm hoping I can do this. And that doesn't, like, my head doesn't explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, Pete, it's funny you mentioned that the, you liked the production design. Like, I, yeah. did, I liked it as well, too. But I think, rather, you were tweeting and you were complaining that it wasn't as cool as Prince's show from a couple of years there ago. There's no nothing nothing can compare with the devil schlong. You know, <laughs> right the devil schlong. I'm, I'm thinking of the um, the amazing like curtain that they like were, you know, what was 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 whapping, flapping in the wind and like they projected prince's shadow onto it. Yeah, that, yeah, they they lit it from the That's the a really high standard for like any halftime show. The biggest the biggest uh the biggest thing though that they projected was prince holding his guitar, his oddly shaped guitar so that it looked like a devil schlong. I'm just I'm just And he saying. was shaking his hips like he was Satan. Right, exactly. It you know, you can understand why why the parents were not down with the rock music when when first it, it debuted. But um I look, I uh like I like the production design also. I thought the light show, whatever those little lights on tracks were, like those the the spider light set up was uh pretty pretty damn cool i just I mean, like yeah, yeah. i don't Based need on to my own see experience at planetariums it was pretty cool for the who to show up at their own laser show for the first time <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway continue oh wow <laughs> i got almost to second base with so many girls at the laser show when i was in <laughs> um the look uh the um it it just like I don't need in the like the windmill guitar move right the the big uh, Pete Townshend uh, uh, windmill right arm windmill hey, thing hey, yeah? Hey, yeah like his shirt was flapping open and the pot belly was hanging out you know the the <laughs> gut was hanging out the and not a bad gut not like he's a fat man he clearly he's not just that that uh, you know he's an older guy now and is uh, you know has a has a little uh, has a little punch there and like it was hanging out over the guitar and it's like look I don't I don't need to see that like I honestly I'd rather see the uh, the Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction than uh, you know right okay than, all right so let's talk about that for a moment here like I think a lot of the main complaints about the halftime show was just that the who are freaking old right and was Daltrey wearing a wig what was that. <laughs> Perhaps it was a weave. Daltrey <laughs> yeah. is a Highlander, all right. He can, he's immortal. He's not going to age anymore. But anyway, uh, okay. So, yeah, so, sorry. Yeah, so, let's so, talk go, about. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, let's John. talk about what? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll agree with the, the consensus that they're old. I mean, they <laughs> the, they had they had the little snippets, uh, you know, uh, pimping the halftime show throughout the first throughout the first half. These little flash banners below the. Uh, 
pull the TV screen, they, they had, you know, footage of The Who and some of their earlier concerts. And it was kind of depressing watching, you know, the, the insane athleticism they put in each concert, like Townsend sliding across the stage on his knees or Daltrey twirling a guitar in the air. They showed that a couple times. And then to watch the actual concert where it's just them sort of bopping around a little, but not too, not too ac- acrobatic. Yeah, I will, I will grant that, certainly. And no um, smash guitar. No smash guitar. I was disappointed by that. Um, but uh, what I was going back to earlier is that with the whole like agedness of the coup, right? And we probably talked about this last year as well, is that this is all in reaction to the wardrobe malfunction and MTV having produced that halftime show where the, the NFL said, no, now we're taking it over. We're going to play it safe. We're going to get older acts um, that aren't going to be as rambunctious and African-American. Um, <laughs> the most recent stuff. Here we go with race again, right? Here we go with race again. Um, basically, that the NFL decided they want safer acts, and now here we have it. We have the Who, um, and they're seventy years old. What are you like? What are you, Kanye West? Right? The NFL doesn't care about black people. <laughs> I'd say the yes. proportion of black exactly like Kanye West. The perform- proportion of black performers in the last five years of the Super Bowl is not necessarily any higher than it was in the MTV ones, if you count only the headliners, because there's just a lot fewer of them, right? So like the, the MTV, they would it, yeah like Janet Jackson was on one and Nelly was on one and like but the rest of it was like In Sync and Britney and all that other stuff right I mean they had that one year where there's that huge cluster beep where it was like Britney and In Sync and like and Nelly Aerosmith. got on stage for like a second Aerosmith was in it too yes and and then like Mary J Blige like sang a couple lines for no reason and it was just like yeah I guess that's diverse like is it better <laughs> I don't know I mean it's it's hard to gauge these things statistically because it's such there's so many outliers I mean. They did have Prince, and so they. It's been what three years since they had a black front, uh, black act fronting the Super Bowl. I mean, Bruce did Bruce have uh, the saxophonist there? Has is he dead? Oh yeah, Cl- he Clarence dead? Clemens is always with the. With so the Clarence East Clemens was there. I mean, I guess the Who don't have any black people in their group, um, or if they did, they were killed tragically, like all the other members of the Who that weren't there. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, um, you know. Sorry, too soon, too soon. <laughs> it wouldn't um, be. It wouldn't be rock and roll if there were black people in it, because you know the whole point of rock and roll is that we stole it from the black people. Well, I mean, keep in mind also that, that they've only really done a couple of American acts, too. Uh, a lot of Brits disproportionately represented in these halftime shows uh, with, between Paul McCartney and The Who, um, and that's pretty much it. But they've only done four of them since the Mount Wardrobe. Oh, actually, maybe more than that. How has it been since the wardrobe malfunction? The wardrobe malfunction I got, was okay, like, I got uh, a list here. So 2004 four? was Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake and the Pasty. Um, okay. 2005, Paul McCartney. 06, the Rolling Stones. 07. Prince, and don't forget the Florida A&M University marching band assisted with that as well, too. Uh, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, and the slide into the camera and get your rub your crotch into the lens, and then the Who. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, that is, yeah. That so actually, more than of half of the performers have been black. It's just that most of them were in that marching band. What, one, thing, <laughs> 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 what, one thing I, I would like to note while we're talking about the, the history of Super Bowl halftime performances is that for the 40-odd year history of the Super Bowl, only in the last, let's say, 20 years or so have, has the, have the halftime performers been, been like real big-name celebrities. And I'm looking at the same list I think Lee was referencing. And the 1991 Super Bowl, where the new kids on the block and, uh, and some Disney characters performed, I believe... <laughs> I believe it was the first big like celebrity performance of the Super Bowl era. Before that, and I remember this one distinctly, the, the, in the 1989 Super Bowl was a really bad Elvis impersonator magician 
They they had they had up with people twice in the eighties and uh, the Florida State University marching band. Oh, I'm sorry, up with people in '76 as well. So that's three times in in ten years. In ten years, uh, Carol Channing in 1970. So I mean, there. The Carol idea, Channing. So the idea of the halftime show being this this big budget media spectacle is relatively recent in the history of. Uh, in the history of the Super Bowl. Right. And from my understanding of this, this of course, is purely economic driven in that sometime right around that uh, transition phase, which you mentioned, the NFL, the Super Bowl broadcast lost too many viewers during halftime because other networks, other channels started to uh, schedule the competing, uh, competing programming at that same time to draw viewers away. So then the NFL realized it needed to really kick it up a notch and get the likes of Michael Jackson and the Indiana Jones and Temple of the Forbidden Eye halftime spectacular of 1995. Well, it's, also, it's also been the era where all the other channels have been trying to pull people away from the halftime show by offering other halftime shows. Like the so like, one of my favorites of this was the, the Rock versus Mankind in halftime heat. You guys remember this? <laughs> it was like the Reservoir Dogs of wrestling because they, like, they were wrestling in an empty arena and like they, they went around to all the different rooms that you don't usually get to see, like the catering room where they prepare the food for the concessions and like do like the maintenance area by the dumpster and stuff. And they're hitting each other with bags of popcorn and like, <laughs> lying around. It's just like really long, drawn-out wrestling match between The Rock and Mankind. Um, I mean, I remember Beavis and Butthead did a halftime show once, and that was fun. That was, I remember that being fairly new when it happened, a new idea. And now, of course, the aforementioned Kitty halftime show for the, uh, the Puppy Bowl, which is, of course, the most popular television show, not the Super Bowl, that's on TV during the Super Bowl, generally speaking. <laughs> Pretty much every hey, year now, hey, although it might not be the case now. Hey, but. hey, hey, hey Beavis, let's have a halftime show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Man, man. So I, I think, Does anybody miss that? I hope not. Just, I, think I think I found the answer to, to why this happened. According to Wikipedia, uh, Super Bowl 32 was the first one to have outside commercial sponsors of the halftime show. So I, I think that might have had something to do with it. And Super, Bowl's, uh, Super Bowl 31, uh, which was the one with the new kids on the block, was, hel- uh, was pr- produced by Disney because it was, uh, it was in Tampa. So I think that that might be why it started then and why it hasn't hasn't exactly backed down. That's so. when they brought in an outside company to fund it for the first time. So before then, it was funded by like the stadium or whatever. And there's no reason for them not to bring in an Elvis magician. You know, <laughs> with people would do it for or free. Up with people. <laughs> yeah, up with people is like this is our mission. We're going to do this work. Like we take charity donations in order to do this. Um, I'm issuing a I'm issuing a challenge to all of us, which is to find that Elvis magician and to get him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a challenge. You very well. Elvis, Elvis yeah. Presto. I'm sure it can be done. Elvis yeah. Presto, was that his name? That is his name, yes. <laughs> we may need to give him slightly more than a bag of mint Milanos, but not a whole lot. <laughs> I'll give him a sweet potato pie. He'll he'll fall for that, right? I got uh, some leftover chicken wings for my Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, Elvis Presto, Bebop Bamboozle, halftime show moments on football.ugo.com. He has a Facebook page. Oh, my God, I'm looking at Elvis Presto's Facebook page. He has a fan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he has one fan <laughs> i'm gonna add elvis presto as a friend on facebook i'm sending him a, he's not a fan page it's a friend page i'm gonna send this link to you guys so if you want to friend elvis presto it's an option <laughs> wow <laughs> we can try to track yeah down. this is uh 
Yeah, that's that's wild. That's not even a fan page. Um, no, no. Now this might be a joke page that somebody set up, but uh, oh, he only shares certain information with all of his friends. So yeah, that's why no, I don't see uh, anything. That's that's the trouble with Elvis Presto. Anyone want to say we didn't really go into the to the misogyny? Anyone want to say anything more about that uh, that in specific? I didn't get a, a good look at all of them, but the uh, the Goat Daddy ads seemed to be particularly misogynistic. Well, that's been uh, stick for years, though. Like just basically blatant sexploitation appealing to you know the TNA Danica Patrick thing. But, the, but first is, of all, um, the, the, uh, sorry, I th- I think we entered the Baroque not phase. Hot. Oh, sorry, Pete. You got, you got cut off. I'm sorry. Danica Patrick is the most strategically photographed woman on television. Like they, they like put a ton of makeup on her. They floose her hair out, and they're constantly blowing crud on it. And like LA looks at it out or whatever. And they're like, "Look, Danica Patrick is hot." Like Danica Patrick is not hot. I'm sorry. And like GoDaddy, those commercials had no sex appeal at all. It's like I'm wearing a tank top. Go on the internet to see the unrated version. And it's just, uh, I mean, I remember when GoDaddy yeah, commercials uh, did, were about well, smarmy sex. What? I did go on the internet to see the unrated version, and in the unrated version, uh, the girl is wearing a tank top and hot shorts. That's that's about as racy as it gets on the internet. And I that's like if you're selling sex on the internet, you know, you, you you gotta step up your game. I mean, if you're selling sex on TV, yeah, uh, okay, that level is uh, that level is fine. But this is, I mean, they entered the the they they did what I'll call the uh, SVU dodge, right? This um, uh, this was uh, this this year where they purported to be horrified that the the, uh, the ads were about Danica Patrick being horrified by all this this blatant sexploitation, right? Yeah. Like when her masseuse you know rips off her breakaway pants, you know, or when the news anchor on TV rips off her breakaway pants, you know th- that this is uh, this so this is a real like have your cake and eat it too move. Uh, which you get in the in the sex crimes TV shows, where you know the um, uh, where you get to sort of uh, it's a move borrowed from Shakespeare, right? Where you get to like run around in the woods, and then there's a spate of marriages at the end, which makes it which makes it all okay. Like you can't raise your eyebrows at the uh, you can't raise your eyebrows at the scantily clad woman running around on your television screen, and then like have that be oh well, that's not sexist, you know? That's not a uh, uh, that's not a scantily clad woman uh, running around on my television screen. That's an ironic scantily clad woman running around <laughs> on my television screen. Ironically, <laughs> you, you can't say you can't say to yourself, "This is not my scantily clad woman." You can't say to yourself, "This is not my beautiful house." <laughs> but I, I would love if at some point somebody turns to Danica Patrick and be like. Danica Patrick, dost thou think because thou art virtuous that shall be no more TNA? (laughs) 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 Oh, I just got it. I just got it. That's funny. (laughs) To tie tie it back into GoDaddy for a second, this has been, I mean, not just in terms of advertising, but in every level in which they market themselves, an explicit explicit shtick of theirs for years. Like, I I was pricing out uh, web hosts recently, and I I was checking around GoDaddy.com, and the founder has, you know, little freebie videos on, on his site. And there are things like eight tips on how to be a better business negotiator, plus some hot blonde. And the video, <laughs> literally, that's how he markets it. And the video is eight tips on how to be a successful business negotiator. And then a hot blonde will, you know, wander in arm in arm with the founder like every minute or so and wink at him. And he'll be like, hey. And then he'll go back to presenting negotiating tips. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, it's it's beneath pandering. It's it's it's, but they, it's not they even sell so like a nonsense so. product too at a higher price than market value that right. nobody should ever want to buy. That's so. the th- that, and it's a bad a it's a bad product also. And I, I yeah. you know I don't know until they become a until they become a sponsor right until they start buying ads <laughs> on the Overthinking It podcast. I'll that tell would be you. one way to get a woman on the podcast, I think. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh. The uh, yeah no it's a, I've tried do that I have some website clients who who use GoDaddy as a registrar or registrar or website host now you know I'm a I'm a reasonably smart guy and I just can't make heads or tails of their service. Uh, Don't okay. you remember when the Super Bowl ads were actually sexy like the Doritos girl ad like that was actually sexy. You know, like, no, these things, they purport to be sexy. They're not sexy. That's not sexy. That's just talking about being sexy. <laughs> don't, I'm an improv, improviser and director, and, and when I talk about doing don't talk about what you're doing in the scene. <laughs> like, just do it, for Christ's sake. Like, for Christ, you know, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off beyond belief. Not really beyond belief. I'm just, Pete Fenzel yeah. respects Pete. women. Yeah, I, I do. This, I know for a fact, Pete, that you found it sexy when that one guy killed the other guy with the Dorito. <laughs> Only because he was wearing a kabuto made entirely of Doritos. <laughs> I wanted to get Jordan one of those for his birthday. <laughs> well, I mean, to, well, we, we clearly moved past objectifying women as sexy to just hating on them and thinking that they're screws. <laughs> Don't be a hater. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. I think is is the moral of the story. Um, I don't know. I don't know, guys. What about the Bud Bowl? Where did that go? They tried to bring that back once and it didn't work, right? Is that what happened? Uh, I don't uh, know. I don't know. Well, do you know, dear listeners or uh, viewers, now that we're live streaming on Ustream.tv, search for Overthinking It Podcast. If you know, you know what to do. You can uh, contact us at the podcast. You can call us at uh, 203-285-6401 or uh, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. We're probably due for another listener feedback show, so get those calls and emails in. You also can find us uh, uh, on the, uh, you know, leave a comment on the show notes for the blog uh, where the where you see the podcast episode posted or use the contact form on the site. I think we're wrapping up here. Does anyone, uh, does anyone um, have a parting shot for us? Uh, a, a friend of mine uh, tweeted during the uh, Super Bowl ads that the Audi commercial with the green police, uh, he said, sure, it's nominally a commercial about Audi, but can't we also appreciate how cannily they captured the essence of Seattle? Because <laughs> apparently that's what it's like living in Seattle. I don't know, never having lived in Seattle, but I, I take his word for it. Well, that's, I, you know, there were a couple of those, like the, the, the Denny's commercial that was like bad news for chickens. I thought like being reminded, isn't it a bad idea to remind a mainstream audience where their food comes from? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Like I watched, uh, I mean, obviously I've read all this Michael Pollan stuff and I, you know, like, like every other, you know, latte swilling, Volvo driving, you know, blue state living, uh, uh, yeah, right, effete liberal, uh, uh, peacenik, surrender monkey. Actor, crack whore, actor. The uh, you know, I am. Uh, I I got on the 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 local food uh, bandwagon, right? And so I, you know, I've seen Food Inc. I actually watched it again this weekend, right? Like, uh, on what, what else have you seen, man? Sorry, you're, you're, I, I, you were just kind of going on. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, right. I, I like want- I've seen that. And so like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's okay. Like, you know, look, look inside the, the, the industrial chicken raising box and it's, it's not a pretty picture. Like, why do you want to remind people that like the chickens are maybe not so happy that you're stealing their eggs from them? Oh, and so the larger point I was going to make, like, was this, I think that this, this again, like captured an attitude of exasperation with all these, uh, all these environmental regulations, right? Because the, uh, the green police were, were presented as figures of ridicule. Uh, Or as fascists. Right, 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 exactly. Rather than as, you know, what the sort of environmental movement aims to do, which is to sort of uh, preserve the, you know, preserve our environment for generations to come and to, you know, like undo or at least slow the pace of a lot of the damage that we're that we're doing to natural systems of all kinds. I mean, they're not like they're not there to. That's not true at all, Matt. We want to control every aspect of your life. They're not there to salt your game, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, that whole that whole ad to me just seemed like a lame excuse to make a pun on what is it the the Dream Police and and turn it into a song and green say make sing sing Green Police like that was it it seemed like to me. I'll tell you one one thing that really struck me while I was watching a lot of these ads and that and that sorry Pete let let me just finish the thought and that in um in a commercial for a car that was being sold on its environmental benefits you probably shouldn't make fun of the environmental movement at the same time. Okay, I'm done. Pete, over to you. Oh, I was just saying that when we're talking about ad targeting, I feel like this discipline of targeting, there seems to be this additional layer to it or this thing that's almost hijacked the practice of targeting where the way that you target an ad is you you include stuff in the ad that is going to piss off the people you're not targeting. So it's like by proving that nobody else likes your ad, the people you're targeting must like it, right? It must work because everybody who you're not trying to sell the Audi to says, this is nonsense. <laughs> like, I think this is stupid. Um, or the Dodge ad or any of those other ads. It's like how much of targeting is actually proactive versus how much of it, is, it becomes this walking through the motions where you just try to piss off as many of the people you're not trying to sell your product to as possible. Uh-huh. All right. Well, we will leave it there for this week. Uh, I'll, I'll do the, the number again, which is 203-285-6401 or the email address podcast at overthinking podcast at overthinking com. Leave a comment on the show notes or use the contact form on the site. And until then, it's going to be a full week at overthinking com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably does Oh god, please let me hit this note. Please let me hit this note. Yeah. Oh, wait, there was a football game too, right? <laughs> ah, yes, yes, the Saints won. Congratulations to them. <laughs>